place in terms of what their mission is. They used to be a VR company. They made a open source VR headset because they believe that um, internet browsing was going to be a more 3D experience. So whenever you would go and like browse on Google, you would put on like this headset and then you'd be able to like touch things instead of it being like just a scroll and click kind of deal. Right. So, but that kind of fell through because they said that there were like limit limitations to 3D VR in terms of like internet browsing and what they wanted to do. Uh, so they kind of switched their um, their business structure and the CEO. Hold on, let me. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Nick. I'm Donahue. Uh, I think I'm saying that right. Nick Donahue was the CEO, and his family did a lot of stuff in home construction. So him and his team went and made this app. Um, it's not open to the public yet. It's still sort of in its beta. It's only being used in uh, Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, or yeah. Raleigh Dash Durham. Apparently, people there get mad if you don't say that correctly. Um, but so the first house that they, so basically what the app is, is like you're, you say, I want to build a house and then you tell it where you want to build the house. And then it just kind of like streamlines the process for you and it puts it down a pipeline. So they find the land that you need. They find the architect, they find the builders, they find, uh, I guess the agent to help you buy the, buy the property. So it sounds like they're trying to get one step ahead of the con- uh, of all the people that are already vying for that business. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get one step ahead and try to capture the lead, get them into their funnel, have a have a, a situation where they like get what the person is looking for and then passing it down the line to me, the real estate agent, to try to find them the land, to the contractor here locally that's going to take them through the process of actually building and whoever else is involved with the local uh, municipalities that are going to be getting approvals and, and, you know, adhering to code and Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Sounds like a very tricky, very ambitious thing that they're trying to do. Amazing that they've raised, what, the $4 million or $2 million? Uh, They raised $6 million. million. They raised $4 million recently, and then they had another $2 million funded on top of that. Yeah. They're going to need to get to a billion dollars before they can be – Yeah. I mean, before Uh, they can even be a threat. Um, It's a a very small project right now. The first one just started getting built, I think, back in August. And – the picture we have here is that actually something that they're building? I think I think that's a stock photo. I don't actually think that's in. I haven't. Uh, I wasn't able to find their uh, the house that they're building. Probably because they want to keep it private and don't want any everyone to know what it looks like. Sure. Yeah, and then that's going to be like their big reveal whenever it's done. Uh, but they're working on twelve houses right now. Um, but the first one's being built currently. And the others are still in some sort of like queued process. Yeah. So they saw this opportunity where it was like, it's a very hard process to get a house built because you got to go and get all the right people together. And it could take forever to do that. It could take months. But it's basically like, um, have you ever specced the car out on online where it's like you, you're like, oh, I want my car to look like oh, this. Yeah, like, and then you just order it. I'm going to customize my, mm-hmm. you know, my next car. Yeah. Same deal. It's like, this is what your house could look like. Here are our cookie cutter templates. Gotcha. Go and make uh, go and make your house, and then it puts all the people together to go to go and do that. Gotcha. So to make it a little easier, but right now they're catering to houses between four hundred thousand and eight hundred thousand dollars. Oh yeah. So which makes sense because that's where it would probably be the most profitable and yeah. reasonable, where it's not so ridiculous. Check, you know, the Charlotte median income they got to fit a model around the Charlotte median or the Raleigh Durham uh, median income. 
You know, so it, it would be irresponsible for them not to be looking at what's being constructed and what the consumers are buying and try to, like, go beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know, like, they got to fit in with where the where the most most of the consumers are going to be if they're going to have a viable product. And then, you know, you're going to have the specialties of somebody coming in low and then somebody coming in way high. So, you know, I just think this is a dangerous, you know, but with danger become, becomes big time reward if your danger works out, you know, works out, you know, with big risk comes big reward. So, you know, I don't, uh, I don't think I'd put my money into it quite yet, but, um, and I would love, like, like I was saying, I would love to have a, uh, you know, a contractor here locally, give their opinion on this model. Uh, because you know, there's local, there's local uh, home builder associations. There's there's a big lobby. There's a big lobby for home builders, and a home builder is not going to be thrilled with this model because that's just one more step in front of them that they're going to have to try to get beyond uh, to try to to try to not lose their profit, right? This this company is going to want a fee for their services from somebody mm-hmm. who's paying them. Who's going to pay them? That's the big. That's the big question for me. Is uh, you know what's the guy's name? Uh, it was. I want to, I want to Nick, speak directly to Nick him. Donahue. Nick Donahue. Who's paying for your service? Like who? Who? When you have this built out and scaled, who is paying you? Who is funding for the service that you're going to get? Is the contractor? Is the realtor? Like, are you sending us these referrals? And we're working them, and then sending you a referral fee. That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, we'd like that answered. Uh, maybe we'll talk about you on a on a on a future show if you'll engage with us and talk to 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 us more about what you're supplying here to the public and more about your vision. Um, so yeah, we'll uh, see if we can't get him to respond to that. Yeah, no, I'll tag him and stuff when we break it down into micro content. Cool. Uh, do you know who Josh Richards is? That doesn't ring a bell. Apparently, he's some. I pulled him up. This is who he is. He's like some sort of TikTok star. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. This I guy. That. He he was one of the investors in that four million dollars raised recently for this business. Gotcha. A lot of investors are really on board with this uh this app because it's filling a need that's not really there right now, but could be very beneficial for people in the future. Because people are just like simple and easy, and this is one of those things where it's simple and easy. So yeah. it's like you just hey, I want a house, and then the app just. I mean, makes nobody fun. nobody thought this was possible. I mean, we didn't know we needed this, and then we got it, and we love it. So, same thing. I mean, yeah. I, I love the ambition. I'm fearful of the model, to be honest. I'm fearful of that model for him as a, like, a, trying to get his foot in front of the contractors and the realtors and and uh, the people that are involved with the process. So, I am very interested in keeping our eye on that. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, yeah, no, I'll, keep on it. I'll keep my eye on it because if they ever go like public, then I'll definitely like want to invest in that company. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's what I found. So I, for me, I think the future of this app is going to go back to VR in terms of designing the uh, the house. I think they're going to dip back into their VR headset that they made and then they're going to find a way to use that within their app. And then that way you can des- you can like kind of do like a walkthrough of your house. You can walk around and like pick stuff out like touch the carpet it's going to change colors mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that yeah sort of like building a house in like sims or something right but uh i think that's i think that's what the future of this is going to be but for now they're still working on the uh actual structure of it i'll be curious to see what the house looks like too because uh it's something that was designed solely in an app uh with an architect that who i do not know and 
it's i'm just curious as to what it looks like because it's a four hundred thousand dollar house so you would think it would look really good yeah it'd be um, better. but also four hundred thousand dollars in well, raleigh might be uh, a little different than a, it is here i would say a four hundred thousand dollar house in raleigh is probably what's comparable to a three hundred and forty five thousand dollar house here that's what i'm thinking yeah yeah i don't think it's like a four hundred thousand dollar house that you would see in like florida right or texas or four, texas 400k yeah. in texas is a monster that's a lot of you can get texas, you yeah. can it's been amazing seeing you know just from the instagram engagement we have and, mm-hmm. and everybody that we're trying to talk to in the real estate community now now that we're doing that we're getting a lot more of their content through through my feed and it's amazing what you can get in texas Unbelievable. Are there any uh, like real estate TikTok uh, people there out are. in Texas? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there are real estate people on TikTok in general. Well, yeah. I haven't seen specifically just Texas. That could be a cool market to see. I would be curious to see what the houses look like in Texas. Yeah. Uh, that are in like the, the multi-million dollar price range. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I could obviously just go and look them up, but like they would do like the walkthrough and stuff, which sure. is what I'd be interested in seeing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I okay. couldn't imagine what a comparable property here in, in our community versus one of those emerging market communities that aren't quite like they're building monsters, but not quite, mm-hmm. not quite there yet. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Interesting. Uh, I had an interesting question for real estate agents. Yeah. So I, I go on this uh, website called ask the public and they come up with like some really cool questions. And one of the questions was, uh, what are the different ways a real estate agent can make money? Uh, just like, I guess, list off all the ways that they can make money, how hard it is for certain areas. Okay. Just I mean, here's what I'll do for that is I'll tell you how I'm able to make money. Okay. And my beliefs about the money that I make. Mm. I think that, that seems like uh, something that the public needs to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do any property management. I could make money through property management, but I don't. I handle my own property. You know, I, I've invested in real estate myself, which, you know, a real estate person that doesn't invest in real estate, you got to question them. Why? Mm-hmm. Like you're in real estate and you're not investing in real estate. What's the deal with that? It's like you don't believe in your own product. Exactly. Yeah. So like I'm fully invested. Uh, a major portion of my por- portfolio is, so I have to manage my own stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't take any fees for managing, you know, your stuff. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't take any fees for handling anybody in the public that wants to come and, and, and have me work for them. I don't do that. I refer all that. Mm-hmm. So I make no money from that. Um, will I do that in the future? Maybe. Well, when do, you have more time. Probably not, though. Okay. What I'll do is probably partner with somebody and just be a silent partner in the deal where I don't have to put my face on it. Because property management, especially in this area, is not in favor with the public. The public around here does not award any special thing to property management people. They are all one-starred. They're all deemed predatory and they're all deemed like a public nuisance. Why, why do you think that is? I don't know. I I, I just think that's inherently uh, a business where it's in conflict. Mm -hmm. I think that's a a conflict type business. So that could, that could be like a good business to start here is a property management company that focuses heavily on customer service. It does. But then you fall into like when people don't pay you, Mm-hmm. When people, you know, I guess that's true. You're begging for your money a lot in in in, in situations, especially like a situation like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had to make some big accommodations for the people that I. I mean, I care, I care about the people that rent from me, and I have personable relationships with these people. But if I got to scale, if I got to major scale, I couldn't do that. It would be impossible for me to to be able to take Facebook messages from all of my tenants and and be be able to accommodate everybody's needs 
at a, a large, massive financial scale. It'd mm-hmm. be hard. Yeah. I honestly have to take it, I have to make it more number driven. I have to be like, that's number one, number two, number three. They're paying X, Y, and Z. Boom, if they're not paying, we got to go, go do something about it. Yeah. You know, so when it comes to scale, it's hard. And these professional property managers around here just have fallen into that dilemma. You know, they, they manage so much that it becomes a business, it becomes a profit machine, and they've got to meet their quota because they've got clients that have hired them to do a job. Mm, so they got to do you. that. They got to do that. And and that becomes a conflict when the, the tenant doesn't take care of the property or or the or the landlord doesn't take care of the property for the tenant. Like when a tenant feels like the landlord or the manager didn't do their job and they've been without heat or air for a week, you know, or the toilet, they had to cut the toilet off because it was leaking and they can't get nobody to come and show them love or take care of their needs, which is within the confines of the lease agreement. Mm-hmm. That becomes a one-star item. That becomes uh, that becomes a an yeah. issue. So so really, we just need a property management people that will do what they say they're going to do, show up on time, say please and thank you, but then also be able to have empathy for the customer at the same time, which is almost impossible. Yeah, like when somebody goes behind on rent, the the moral the moral thing that you go through when someone doesn't pay their is is. Number one, you feel you feel bad for them. You feel but you have empathy for them, but you're running this as a business, and the business to survive has to make the, these fees, has to make this money, and has to provide the mortgage debt that the client has. Mm-hmm. So we got to move them people out as fast as possible, and we got to get new people in. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a moral dilemma, you know, because you want to work with somebody, you care about them, but then there's that business aspect, that unemotional aspect of it all that you have to really live by. Yeah. So that's the dilemma there. So so really as a salesperson, I don't want that stain on my business. Gotcha. Yeah. So you wouldn't want your brand attached to whatever Exactly. I got I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I with money it becomes very like uh finicky because people get really sensitive about yeah. that. So if you're having to And it's easy them, for then, somebody to look at somebody and say that they're greedy. Yeah. It's easy. In terms of uh, getting someone to go in there and help them, uh, like, take care of, like, their plumbing issues or whatever, that part to me sounds like they scaled too fast and then uh, weren't prepared for all of the issues that could arise. Well, when you're a profit, when you have to be a profit center, you're trying to do the bare minimum. Yeah. You're trying to do as least possible that the tenant will allow you to do. So you just want the phone calls to stop. Mm-hmm. You're going to do the minimum, the cheapest, the the most inexpensive thing that you can do, and you're going to get out of there and hope the phone doesn't ring anymore. And that's the problem with a lot of them. You should just do high-quality work to begin with. You should take care of your properties to begin with, and then you won't be stuck in handling the hassle. Right. So just, just maintain the property correctly. Treat people the way that they should be treated, the way you would want to treat, you know, have somebody treat you. Yeah, the golden Gold, rule. Golden rule. The yeah. golden rule. Yeah. So, so we have a lot of the the golden rule not being applied mm. in the property management game, and that's probably countrywide. Probably that's probably countrywide. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and bash just, you know, New River Valley property management. They just fall into the same traps of every property management in every location in this country. 
Yeah, they probably just want to go really fast. And whenever you want to go really fast, customer service is usually the thing that suffers. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. That that really sucks too. So like maybe I enter that game, but it's not it's not going to be associated with my real estate company. It's going to be a separate company run by a CEO that I hire. That's that's not that that I don't have decisions. I'm just I'm just there as a silent partner to advise, mm. and my name is not on the deal, at all. Makes sense. Yeah. I gotcha. Next is obviously where where I um, you know I make the most of my money is that's residential sales, right. you know, and we charge a fee for our residential sales service. We charge six percent to list a home, and we accept a listing fee that is provided to us if we represent a buyer. So the buyer side fee, and this is this is where this is like this is my moment okay. of this show. Yeah, the buyer yeah, yeah. side fee. Okay. Anybody out there that doesn't fight for that buyer side fee, that 3%, 3% is the normal, should be the, the, the standard rate of a buyer side fee. That's a fee that I don't compromise on when I list a property. Mm-hmm. I feel like when I list a property, if I'm going to take a discount, the discount's coming from me, the listing agent. Mm-hmm. I'm not passing that discount on to the buyer's agent. The buyer's agent... It did not deserve to have to take a discount on that fee. They've been working these buyers for maybe a year. Maybe they've been working these people, you know, a day or a year. It doesn't matter. What they've done, what the service that they provide is they, they're going to get the best buyer to me the fastest, you know, and they deserve, they deserve that fee. The 3% is very important for, for the speed of the sale. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to provide um, that buyer agent, the best buyer's agents out there, the right fee, right? So I, that's very important to me. So if I take a 5% fee, I don't, I don't take 2.5% myself and 2.5% to the buyer's agent. Mm-hmm. I give myself 2% and the buyer agent gets the, the right fee, the right 3% fee. So I feel like more agents need to do that, in my yeah. opinion. I think I think that that needs to be something that we all fight for. Um, well, it's the kind thing to do is you build a relationship with the agent yeah. who I want the best. Yeah, I want the best agents getting proper compensation. You know, I want the I want the buyer that's going to pay the most with the best agent. And the if, if we have similar products, let's mm-hmm. say you're an agent. Sure. And I have an I have a home, and you have the similar home mm-hmm. in the in the same neighborhood. I offer the buyer's agent three three percent fee, and you offer the buyer agent two and a half percent fee, in the same price, same layout, same finishes. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is going to sell that home first? Oh, it's going to be you. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, that so, makes sense. So, so we really need to, as listing agents, we need to not punish the buyer's agent for for our lack of salesmanship to negotiate the proper fee. If we can't negotiate the proper fee for us, you should not be asking the buyer's agent to take a discount on the lack of salesmanship you have on the services that you provide. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, if you can't get your proper fee, like I'm, I'm not saying I book 6% fees all the time, but, but I do, I do hold tight on that for a lot of people, unless you're like high volume. If you're, if you're a high volume client of mine mm-hmm. and we do repeat business every year, then I flex a little bit. But if you can't book your fee, how are you going to be? How are you going to try to get the most money for your client? 
if you can't even get the fee that you deserve. Mm-hmm. So like that's a so, big thing. So let me ask you this. If you were to start selling only million-dollar houses, would you raise the 6% because you'd still be making a lot of money for that client and yourself? Yeah. Or would you stay 6% and just take the take whatever gain that would be? I would never raise my fee. Okay. But – I would be I would still be fighting for my fee at the million dollar range. Mm. It's a it's a whole new world yeah. in the million dollar range. And and my fee, no matter if it's five thousand or five million, I'm fighting for my proper fee. So 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 as we transition out of residential sales, okay. you know, so six percent mm-hmm. is my residential sale fee. Right. But if we go into land and farms and commercial property, mm-hmm. which which is uh, another game, you know. These high luxury, these high luxury homes, and these other subcategories in real estate sales, like land, commercial, and um, multifamily, that yeah. type stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I demand a higher fee for those. It's just okay. a different job. You know, it, it takes a lot. It, the, the time frame's a little different. The marketing strategy's a little different. It's more of like a business to business thing, isn't it? Right. Yeah. So, so as you know, like. Um, you know, when we're trying to sell Sawmill Hill, right. we're trying to look at businesses that are looking for farms. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're cold calling people. We're doing more creative things to try to get somebody that can even afford a one 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 million four hundred fifty thousand dollar property. Yeah, that one's a little weird. It's like yeah. we're going business to business, but we're also going business to consumer. Yeah. So we're hitting. We're trying to hit both. Right. So so the time. You know, we can't just set an MLS and forget it. Yeah, we've got to go beyond the the MLS, and you know maybe even partner with the companies that we've identified. Like I know we're hesitating to pull the trigger on some of that stuff because we want all of it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But at this point, with no showings on the deal, like we we've got to go even further beyond what we typically do um, because we got to execute on that. Yeah. You know? the The reason that we were holding off on the, uh, I think you're talking about the Mossy Oak thing. Yeah. The reason we were holding off on that is because it sounds like they're trying to take it as their own property, and then they would just give you the like referral fee from that. So we were kind of has we weren't sure. If I don't think that's be, right. We need to look at that again. Well, that's what we were emailing them about because we were trying to get we're because they were being really weird and not like super informative in yeah. the emails. So we were trying to get like a gauge on what they're talking about. Yeah. But so that's why we, we that's why we were holding off on the trigger because we don't want to like give them the property like the whole thing of course it's not so their listing because we, we listing. thought that it was more of like uh some sort of marketing thing but yeah. it sounds like they're like their own broker agent well they are but what and what they would do is they would market it they would market it in conjunction with us and then they would send us all the leads and then if we executed on a closing we would send them the percentage right we would send them a percentage right and then like when we were filling out the referral fee form uh if you put them in it was it was really complicated. I can show it to you later. Yeah. But it was like if you put them in one place, it sounded like it was going to be their listing, and that. But then we I wouldn't were, mind that so much. Like if they advertised it as their listing, but then they're they're putting like we know where the. I mean, it's not like taking it from us, but they're just marketing it, and they have to have their branding on it yeah. or something. It's like it's the twenty percent part. What is what confused me because it's like okay, are we giving them twenty percent or are they giving us twenty percent? Yeah, we would That's, be giving them twenty percent. See, and I don't know if they know that, so that's why we were holding off on it. Yeah, I think that I think that is clear, but yeah, and, and that's a that's another way to earn fees. We just that we didn't write down that I didn't write down that's on there is outgoing and incoming referral fees. Yeah, that was like, that was a mental question that I was going to bring up. Yeah. yeah, referral fees. Yeah. Yeah. So so, uh, residential sales is one thing, commercial, land, property management. We can all earn fees there. Um, 
And then referral fees. We've actually collected a bunch of referral fees this year, outgoing and incoming. So we're doing really good there. And there's outgoing referral fees. When we, It's devastating that I have to send great people out of the New River Valley. But it's just inevitable. You know, you've heard me talk in a past show that we want to keep all the talent here in the New River Valley. We want, we're, I'm selfish. I want to keep you guys here. But when the time comes and we know that we got to send you off into the country or even around the world, we have a referral that we can, we can make sure that you're going to get service like we would have provided you here. You're going to be in good hands with somebody else wherever you're going. If you come to me first, I will find you that, that referral that you need to, to handle your housing needs. And also, we get a little benefit from that based on you know 25% of the fee that they collect will come our way. So if, uh, you know, if it's a $10,000 fee, we get 2500 of that, which is nice. You know, you know, sending those out into the world and those coming back, that's a nice, that's a nice little bonus. Yeah, it's almost you know, like free money. It is. Yeah. It is. So, so our relationship could be beneficial to you, and it's going to benefit me too in, in uh, an, an outcoming, you know, we're sending you out, but a referral fee is coming into us at 25%. So, you know, we love, you know, and we've executed those. Probably, we got probably 10 of those this year. Oh, okay. So, nice. so yeah, that is a nice, that's a nice way we can earn fees. There's actually some real estate agents out there that are basing their whole model on referral fees. So there's, wow. there's, there's people like in Florida buying up leads here and then referring them to local agents and collecting fees. Oh, wow. Okay. So that, so I've seen a bunch of advertisements on YouTube where they're like, do this. You can work in real estate with like no money down and you don't need your license and blah, 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 blah. And it's, is it the referral? Well, thing? no, you would have to have a license to get the referral fee. Oh, okay. Maybe they're talking about something else, but that yeah. would, okay. I mean, yeah. maybe one of those courses talks about like getting a license and whatever. Yeah. A lot of those courses you're seeing on pre-rolls and, and mid-rolls are like wholesaling tactics. Yeah. I, I don't actually look into like what they are. I yeah. look into who's selling it to me and I'm like, what do you, what do you do? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I was like, what do you do? Why yeah. are you doing this to me? I was right. like, I don't care about what you're selling me. Tell me what you're doing. That's right. what I care about. Right. Um, what about uh, like property flipping? Uh, would you ever do that? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I, see, I've got a, I've got a fiduciary responsibility to some, to my clients. Mm-hmm. So, if I get an opportunity and I know I've got clients that are in the flip game, which I do, mm. I've got a few. I got to present it to them first. I got to, I got to, I got to, you know, I got to present those opportunities to the public first. If the public then passes, then and I like the opportunity, then I can get in. Or if somebody comes to me directly and says, "Scott, we want you to buy this." Mm-hmm. And I give them the price I'm willing to pay, and I also tell them this is what I think it would be worth if I just listed it for you. Mm-hmm. And they said, "Hey Scott, we just want this to go to you. We want you to buy this, and we're okay with your price." Then I can jump in there and do that. But it would be uh, unethical for me in in a lot of cases for me to jump in and tell somebody what the home's worth, get the home, and then and then flip it out without doing any work because I knew it was worth more. Mm-hmm. So I've got a moral conflict and an ethical conflict within the code of ethics to not do stuff like that often. Wait, so then uh, what about Meet Kevin? Because doesn't Meet Kevin do a lot of home flipping and stuff by Meet, himself? Meet yeah. Kevin or, does does that, but I'm sure he has to follow those guidelines okay. as well. So, so if he has an opportunity that he's shopped out, and you know, and in California, 
you know, there's a lot more. There's, there's a lot more people there. It's, he's a yeah. lot more under the radar, even though he's got a big following on YouTube. Like he's probably on the radar a little bit, but if he's getting into deals for himself, I'm sure he's following ethical guidelines. Um, but it does like it. It does toe the gray line that he should be shopping that to his his clients first. If he has no clients in his pipeline, and and it's it's out on the multiple listing service. See, that's the thing. If it's publicly active and he's going for it, or if he's going for it at auction for himself, but if he gets the listing opportunity and he says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, let me just buy this," mm. that's an ethical situation where he needs to he needs to list the property first, see if there's anybody else out there that will take that on at the price that he has it listed for before he gets the discount, you know, before he gets to cut the price to where he'll buy it. Gotcha. You know, there's a lot of opportunities out there that I list that I necessarily wouldn't be a buyer for myself. Mm-hmm. But I know that the retail market, see, I'm not <clears throat> a retail buyer in most cases. Mm-hmm. So, so, but, but I don't need housing. I'm an investor. Mm-hmm. If you need a house, like when I go buy Midtown, mm-hmm. I'm a retail buyer. Yeah. What's, the, what's the price? Yeah. Am I going to pay it? Maybe. Like It depends if I see the value. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to negotiate with them because I'm a retail buyer at that point. Yeah. You know, so there's a difference. Um, so yeah, that's where I stand on like the flip thing is, is if I get the call for the listing opportunity, I maximize their opportunity with no bias for any of my buyer clients. I'm representing the seller. Mm. If somebody calls me and says, Scott, we want you to buy this property. Come tell us what you'll pay. That's a whole different thing. Right. It's a whole different thing. Right. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. That's a good like moral compass to keep. Yeah, keep your clients happy, and then you're still making money off yeah. of it. Anyways. I got in this business with the intentions of of making my clients the most money possible on selling their stuff, and saving them as much money as I can when they're buying stuff. And I can't have a conf- I can't have a conflict of that unless they say, Scott, will you buy this for this price? Mm-hmm. And they understand that they could get more if I just gave them my service. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Um, I think we hit all the topics that uh, you can like and ways that you can make money on real estate. I, I can't think of another one off yeah. the top of my head, yeah. but I think that's it. Yeah. All right. So I got a crazy story about uh, I got a crazy stock story. So I've been getting a little more active on Instagram in terms of like me giving like because I have people come to me all the time like they're like, hey, you're like my age. What are you doing financially? Because like I don't have any debt. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm doing pretty well for myself right, right. now. Uh, so. I've gotten, st- I've started investing in the stock market and people are asking me questions about that. And, you know, the, the market's been all over the place recently. It's been up, it's been down a lot. And I think it went down significantly the other day. It, it dropped like, it's like 400 points or something like that. I think it's rallying big today. I think so. Yeah. I haven't checked it today. I've, you know, it's, pull it up. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I, I have it right here. This isn't, this is uh for the topic, but I can pull up the Dow. Hold on. Yeah, it's doing okay. It's sort of like a more of like a plateau. So up five hundred. Um, yeah, up five hundred from when it opened, which is good. That's really good. Um, but it looks like it went up five hundred at the beginning of the day, and then it sort of plateaued and starting to drop off, kind of, sort of, kind of. It'll, yeah. it'll, it'll be in the green by the end of the day. Well, hope. Let's hope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it closes at four. So, and then I think uh, results for polling start at like what they end at seven and that's when we start getting results well the the coverage is starting here soon but yeah the pollings will close at seven yeah and that's when we'll start knowing like the numbers from the actual pollings and not the mail-ins yeah so it shouldn't be affected today it might be affected tomorrow yeah 
uh but for today it's fine um but anyways so i was uh someone came to me and they were like dude i just sold all my stocks in the market and i'm like why i did but i so i asked them i was like why i was like what were you invested in i was like why and they were saying like I was invested in Amazon. I was invested in Microsoft. I was invested in this, that, and the other. It's the like big four, chip, it big, was like Fortune 500 companies. Yeah. And I'm like, why did you sell? Why didn't you buy more? I was like, you should never sell in a dip. If you're invested, okay, I take it back. For me personally, if I'm invested in a Fortune 500 company, I will not sell in a dip. As a matter of fact, I'll buy more. Do like, we I- do we call what we're in right now a dip, or do we call what we right now a peak? I mean, what, uh, what's your take on that? Like, I feel like I feel like if anything, this is like the the turmoil that's happening within a peak that could that could tank real quick. Okay, so I would cons- I consider what we're in right now uh, a dip. Okay. Well, okay, sort of, kind of. It's it's rallied back since when COVID first happened. The markets crashed. Yeah, that was the dip. Yeah, that was when you were supposed to buy. It was in March. That was the dip. It's starting to rally back now. But it's like every day it's changing drastically. It's not like. But we were down to 20K, right? 22K? Something like that. So like, it was. No, so, well, in the Dow? Yeah. Uh, it was actually. I, we can look at yeah, it. Yeah, go to I have year it, to date on the Dow. I have the one year. Let me open up full screen so that way I can see it better. Um, where was March? March is back here. Wait, I think you're back in like 2010. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Why? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I ha- okay, so here's the, here's the year. Outlook. So it was at eighteen five. Ooh, I got in at like I got in. I got in on the blue chip stuff at like nineteen. Okay. Yeah. So I, was- I rode. I rode uh, Apple and Caterpillar and three M and uh, I even got into Tesla at some point. You know, I, I lost a little bit on Nikola, as you know. That's yeah. 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 So. That's understandable. That was sort of out of the blue. Like we didn't know what was. We didn't, there's no way you could have predicted that would happen. Right. Unless you had some inside information, which in, in which case is illegal. What a pump and dump that was. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. I mean, well, I don't. It was it was a pump and dump to an extent. I think for Nikola in particular, people saw what they were offering and they bought it, and then stories came out. And then they were like, "Oh, gotta get rid of it." And then when so, dude left the company, I was yeah. I was done. I was like, I was gonna ride that ship into the ground. Yeah. But dude bailed. You know, dude, <laughs> yeah. dude, like, dude was like, yeah. "All right, I'm done. I can't handle it anymore." So once he did that, I was out. Yeah, a pump and dump to me is when a uh, company does a stock split. People buy in, and then they'll sell like a week later because they're just like, "Oh, it got really cheap. Everyone's gonna be buying it because it got really cheap." They buy it up, they ride the wave up, and then it t- it drops off, and it becomes a whole hassle. Yeah. Um, for the people that bought in like at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, but so for me, so he told me that he sold all of his stocks. I'm not going to say his name, sure. but he told me that he sold all of his stocks. And I'm like, why? I was like, you're invested in fortune 500 companies. So you're not doing anything crazy. And I was like, and it's going to go up eventually regardless. I mean, like in the next four years, it'll, it'll go up. I don't know by how much, but those stocks would always go up. Uh, unless they did a split, unless they did a split and then the split didn't do well or the company like filed uh, chapter 11 or some, yeah. something like that. Um, I couldn't understand. And he was like, oh, I sold it all because it was starting to dip and I was getting scared. And I'm like, you should never scale it when you're scared. Uh, and then he was like, and then I went and invested in Delta. And I was like, why? Why would you go and invest in Delta? Delta airline companies are probably one of the worst investments that you can make, especially right now. So I actually, I actually made some points because this was all the stuff that I explained to him. Uh, so here's here's the first point. So uh, 
the people that are on the board for these uh, giant commercial airline companies, they do uh, stock buybacks. And for people that don't know what stock buybacks are, that's where the company goes in and buys back their stocks to decrease the uh, volume on the market. And then when they do that, the price goes up because there's less volume, so supply and demand. And then it makes the stock more, more appealing to investors, and then investors will go and buy the stock. And then they'll sell it, and then they'll make money off of it. And then they'll do it again. So I'll pull up Delta. Apple can, Apple's been one of the best companies ever to do that to do that strategy. To, to, yeah, to, but they they're not doing it as frequently, though. right? And they also are providing a product that's always changing and always getting better. Yeah. Airlines you, they change every so often. Yeah. It's not like it's not a consistently changing thing or in something that was it you like, that showed me the meme of the uh, the the person that bought an Apple phone in 2017 versus somebody that invested a thousand dollars in Apple stock in 2017. Maybe I might have posted something like that on my story. Yeah. So so if you bought an iPhone for a thousand dollars in 2017, it's now worth four hundred and fifty bucks. And if you bought Apple stock for a thousand dollars in 2017, it's now worth three thousand seven hundred dollars. So you just yeah. so you just you got you got uh, you know three new iPhones if you if you bought stock in Apple for a thousand bucks in 2017 now you can go get three different types of phones yeah pretty yeah. much yeah and then you could go and buy three phones and then you can sell those two phones yeah boom there you go and then you take that money reinvest it back in the, right. and you just do it over and over again yeah I mean Apple's definitely that's a long process so but. so the reason why I sold I mean to tell you the reason why okay. I sold I just. I went to zero on all that because I I went from nineteen thousand to twenty seven thousand, and we're coming up on what we're coming up on here. So who knows? So I I went ahead and, and just cashed all the way out. Plus I needed I need money for all this. Right. So I, I I took that and put it into all of this and, and payroll and and secured the business. But but when I get healthy again, if if it does go down again, I'm ready to roll right back into those same companies to ride that wave back up. Yeah. Because. The reason why you get into the stock market like that, correct me if I'm wrong, is because you believe in America. You believe in the companies that are traded on uh, in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, so and and that really is how most people, after real estate, are generating lifetimes worth of wealth. Yeah, right. That's uh, I I've always looked at the stock market as a uh, I guess sort of like a retirement fund slash like high interest savings account. Yeah. As long as you're not being stupid and then buying like these penny stocks and then, you know, it's like, oh, that's my investment. Um, But that's, so I always look at the five-year outlook of everything. That's actually what we're looking at right now is for Delta Airlines. See this, see all this up and down, up and down. These, that's, that's their board members pumping and dumping and investors getting on board and dumping again. So it's like, they're doing all this and see this giant uh, dip right here. Yeah. That's obviously that's COVID, but and that's that can't be helped. But I mean, it's think, still. I mean, do you think the American government is going to let Delta or American or Southwest or any of these companies actually go under? Like, don't you think that they're no, going to inject so, taxpayer money into these companies? Yeah. Okay. So that's that's actually one of the other problems that I have with these kind of companies, and it's the same thing with um, the automotive industry. It's like they can't they can't fall apart. They can't file for bankruptcy because if they do, then transportation halts in America, which sucks because that's it's one of those things that wasn't essential. Uh, when like America first started, but because we are so reliant on it now, it's very essential to keep those businesses alive. So, but it's, it's the fact that they manage their money poorly 
and then have to take out they have to take these like buyouts from the government right so if you look if you look at these um let's take apple for example apple has a 200 billion dollar savings account they have 200 billion dollars in savings in cash in cash yeah. that if like if anything happened that's the money that they start pumping back into their business and it just sits there i don't know if it gains interest or whatever i mean that'd be oh, i'm sure insane. I'm, su- I'm sure it does i'm sure it does and it, i'm sure it's insane the amount of return that they get back yeah. on that but it's like but these companies they didn't do that they just were investing in the, themselves, like the board members. Like they were investing back in themselves, not not themselves as in the company. They were investing in themselves as individuals, trying to make themselves richer, which is fine to an extent until you get into a situation like this. It's like you know they're playing the game, they're getting richer, and that's you know that's just the way things are. It's when the fact that they give, when the government gives them money, and then they use that money for themselves, and then are asking for second handouts because the airline industry is coming back and are like, we need more stimulus because we ran out and we forloaded all these people. So all the money that they've used to like buy back stocks for themselves uh, could have been used to that should have been uh, an, uh, you know a rule that they could not use any of that money. And I thought that was a rule that they couldn't use any of these bailout funds to supply a surge into their stock price you know like well, that should definitely be re- that should have definitely been regulated i don't know what they're doing with it i haven't looked like super 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 in depth of like what they're using it for but i think uh let's see i think it was uh was it this article or was it this one yeah, it's like after mismanaging companies with stock buybacks and lucrative CEO packages, airlines are demanding another $25 billion from taxpayers. So, so that's criminal. That's, yeah. That's th- no, I 100% when, agree. When someone gets taxpayer funds to remain solvent in their business and they pump their stock up with those funds by buybacks. They- no, 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 no. The problem was it wasn't the fact that they were pumping their stocks back up. It's they uh, they didn't have money set aside because they were pumping their stocks up before this, and then they were using all that money to like bail themselves out, is what they were using it for. And they ran out because they didn't have anything saved up that they needed, and now they're asking for more money. Okay, it's it's a snowball effect that has happened in the airline industry that just is a catastrophe. Sounds and like it's robbing so- Peter to pay Paul, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so uh, another thing for me is I don't invest in companies like this that had to take uh, bailouts. Because if they had to take a bailout now, what's to say that another pandemic was to happen and they need another one? And then the stocks plummet and then your investments go to shit, basically. So it's between that, the stocks prices fluctuate too much and air travel has, it's it's taken a physical toll and a mental toll on America. And it's gonna be a long time before air travel like returns to what it was before because people aren't just going to feel comfortable going on vacation they're just going to use it for business i mean honestly honestly i'm i'm torn because remax has a convention every year in las Mm -hmm. vegas uh at the end of february and i i want to go i i love that convention i love las vegas but am i am i comfortable enough to do that am i am i confident enough to do that, I mm-hmm. I don't know that I am. Yeah, and see, that's that's exactly the problem with like someone coming to me and being like, "You need to buy a Delta Airlines stock." I'm like, "No, I'm not." The, when the consumer feels, the majority of the consumers, I think, would feel the way I feel. Yeah, you know. Well, he was trying to he was trying to bring up the point. It's like it's down really low right now, well, and then it's going to come back. If you feel like the government is going to keep propping them up, and 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 give them give them the time that they need to be solvent. Um, 
And he might be right. He's getting it at a big discount. I mean, he's getting stuff. But, but I like your strategy yeah. is I don't want to invest my money into somebody that can't remain solvent unless it's through the taxpayers. Yeah. I don't want it's to like, mess with that. It's, I always make my investments based on uh, – and it's something that Jeff Bezos said that I like really resonated with. He said that he doesn't make any investments based on something that he doesn't believe in. Yeah. He he only does it on things he like. For me, I'm only invested in companies. I'm invested in like Tesla. I'm invested in Apple. I'm invested in a few other companies that are making good products and they're trying to make changes in the world. I I think uh, you know Shaq quoted him really good. Shaquille mm-hmm. O'Neal. Mm-hmm. He said uh, he was told by Jeff Bezos that. Don't invest in anything that you don't think is going to change people's lives. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So, so when he did that, Shaq said he he quadrupled his his net worth when yeah. he started putting money into things that he knew was going to change people's lives. His portfolio quadrupled. Yeah, and it's because other people think exactly the same way, and usually the people that think the same way are usually those deeper pocket people. Yeah. Not, I mean, you know, there are, you know some people that aren't that rich that would think the same way, but like when it comes to investments, that's yeah. how to look at it. But it's just, I, I don't know. I just couldn't believe that someone was like, I sold my Fortune 500 company stocks that are bound to go up all the time. If he, if he didn't have any other thing to do with the money than that, then he made a mistake probably. Because he should have he should have wrote it out and bought, if he had more liquid funds, he should have just bought more at discounts if the discounts happened. If he didn't need the money right away. Yeah. Now, if he needed the money right away, like in my case, like mm-hmm. I wanted to make investments in other things and people and, you know, I just wanted to make sure that that my financials were secure and wasn't tied up and that I was liquid. Yeah. That's a different story. But if you're just removing your money from the market because you think it's about to go down, you should just be you should be like this if you think it's going to go down with the position that you hold getting in at a better rate than what you purchased before. Yeah, if exactly. You don't need that. Exactly, because then you kind of offset you sort of offset the loss of that stock, and yeah. then you know it's going to go back up anyways because you've already invested in it. So that obviously means that you believe in you it. You should believe in everything that you're in anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So here, uh, Sky, don't show this, but I'm going to show you one of the companies that I'm invested in, and I'll show you why I use this as sort of like a. Um, let's see. Uh, there they are, these people. Uh, so I, this is, you can see why I use, they did a stock split, by the way. That's why it's so low. Um, but let's look at the five year, see the five year outlook on this, on this stock. I saw that they were going to do a stock split. So I immediately bought in. So now I have more shares of this stock than I originally had. And look at, look, look at the, look at that five year chart. That is a high interest savings account looking chart to me. That's how I look at it. So this company, they, um, they invest in like uh, commercial solar panels. They do it in uh, Florida. So I was like, well, they're because they're trying to commercialize it, and then when you commercialize it, it makes it cheaper for the public. Right. So I, you know, it took. You can see how it's like all up and down, and that's at the end because that's because they just split, and people are like buying it up and selling it. And, gotcha. You know, and then that's the COVID COVID uh, tick right there. Yeah. That's what I'm. That's what I'm gonna start calling it the COVID tick. Right. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> so yeah. Um, that's a good word. Yeah. But so that's 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 what I chose. And he was telling me, he's like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't invest in a company like that. And I'm like, dude. So, you know, it's like, I'm doing really well for myself stock wise. My stocks have like surpassed my savings account. That's just sitting in the bank. So yeah. I'm just like, you know what, man, you do you, hey, I'll do me. I think it's, I'm it's, just letting people know that if they want to get invested in an airline, commercial airline company, these are the things that they're doing. They're taking bailouts. They're pumping their stocks. To make it look nicer, it's good. It's good word to get out. You know, yeah. you need to be you need to be mindful of where your money's going and your perspective. I think uh, 
use this to put your perspective out there. I think it's valid perspective yeah and i'm not saying i'm like the overarching authority on this because there are some people that are way better at stock investing than i am i'm just saying morally and strategically this is how i yeah. this is how i, I think. like your take on it i yeah. would i would i would think that that's a logical standpoint you know, that's a logical view on it you know as uh as somebody that's putting their money in a company that has obviously shown that they have a major threat when it comes to the you know the health and safety or you know like pandemic type stuff and um, and need big bailouts from uh, taxpayers, you know that's um, it's that's the, hard to put money into. It's the same reason that I wouldn't invest in like uh, General Motors or Chrysler, uh, it's because they took a bailout in two thousand eight yeah. during the uh, the recession. And but like I I would invest in Ford. They didn't take a bailout, and then Tesla. I'm investing. Well, here's in. the thing. But they're kind of the newer. Here, here's what I have a problem with is, you know. GM taking a bell out and then still wanting to leave the country. Yeah. You know, no, I, I, still wanting to remove themselves and, and go to Mexico and that type of stuff. So yep. I have a big moral stance against anybody that wants to do that. Yeah. They were going to take know? the money and run, basically. Yep. <laughs> They're thieves. Yeah. Um, but no doubt. Yeah. So we've, we've gone for an hour, but I think it was, I think it was good. Yeah. So, all right. So Studio 3.0. This is what we got here. We're going to perfect this. We're not even done. Yeah, we're not. This, we're, this, yeah. this over here, there's yeah, going to be stuff here. We, uh, we're, this, is a, this is just a slapdashed version of what this is going to be. I'd say it's part. 75% done. Yeah. So we just ha we're not missing a Tuesday. I mean, we, we've got contingency plans, but when we can help it, we're getting on the air and we're doing this thing. Dude, so. let me tell you what. I, I didn't think this was going to be done because we were debating about this light because that light was hung up in there. And we were like, okay, if we do this, we have to do it fast and it has to be on Tuesday. <laughs> and we were just like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to do it. And we did it. Yeah. So you, you guys, hey, look, <laughs> I could not be happier. You know, this has taken a lot of debate. I mean, look, you know, I'm four years I'm four years into this thing. I've been debating this and trying to execute this for that amount of time. We're here. Um, we're, we're doing it. We're consistent. Everything that we want to do is being done. Now we just got to find a way to layer on top of it on some other things that we've been talking about. And once we get really good at this, uh, you know, we can start letting other people come in and taking advantage of it as well. Yeah, now that the studio is pretty much done, we can start taking on other projects now, yeah. which is going to be great. Cool. All right, guys. Until next time, next week, hey, get out and vote. And, uh, you know, just uh, stay safe out there. And honestly, whoever it is at the end of the day, we got to just keep pushing. Don't and, don't cry. And, yeah. And, and Regardless don't, don't get side. violent. You know, don't don't react in an emotional way um you know just know that you got to get to work you got to get back to it and uh you know that's you know we're accepting of whatever the results are and whatever the country wants our voice is heard you, you voted yet oh i voted on saturday okay cool scott you vote, vote? Yep. cool so that's all that matters so um get out and vote and hey look if you're in blacksburg and christiansburg and you're if there's anybody watching this if you need a ride to the polling place call me and we'll get you there so, um, till next time, see you later.